Welcome to another episode of Latinos Who Thrive. I am your host, Victor Escalante. We're very excited that we have more listeners in more countries. So a big shout out to Mexico, Singapore, France, Russia, Belgium, El Salvador, and Germany. This week's special guest is Dr. Natalia Infante Kaler, who is the founder of Ola Insights, a multicultural Hispanic market research firm. She is an immigrant from Paraguay, South America, who struggled not knowing English and understanding it throughout her entire education. You are going to hear how this Latina developed grit to earn her PhD and what you need to do to crush it in business and life. She is an expert and a researcher of Hispanic consumers, and we talk extensively about this. Natalia is now fluent in both Spanish and English, and very well versed in the nuances of Spanish-speaking cultures. While leading the team at Ola Insights, Natalia conducts qualitative research in both English and Spanish. She also designs research studies based on her clients' goals. So let's get started. And now we have with us Dr. Natalia Infante Kaler. Dr. Kaler, welcome to Latinos Who Thrive. Hi, Victor. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Tell us a little bit about yourself, your background. Where are you originally from? Yes, so I was born and raised in Paraguay, South America. I moved to the U.S. about when I was 18 without finishing my high school, before finishing high school, actually. And uh, when I moved to the U.S., I didn't know any English. I learned some in Paraguay, but wasn't good enough for what I needed here. It was very basic. So that wasn't helpful. So I got married very early and my ex-husband is from the U.S. Um, so I got married here. Uh, my kids were born here. Uh, eventually I got my, P- my GED. Then So I started learning English, got a GED, then eventually started really loving being in school. And I started um, taking courses, graduated uh, with an undergrad, uh, a master's, and eventually a PhD. So, yeah. People listening to us would say, well, of course, she's a doctor. She was very smart. She was very brainy. I can't do that. One thing that I learned with a PhD is I guess being smart is relative. Sometimes we just put those titles on ourselves when it's actually not true. It takes work. It takes being, you know, persistent and doing the work. Uh, Yeah, I I think anyone can do it. Uh, When you have the resources and you have the willingness to do, you can do it. It takes time. For me to finish my PhD, it took nine years because usually you need to be at 10 years. After 10 years, you have to start over or leave the program. For me, it took me up to the last minute to finish my, my program. So, Dr. Kaler, what were the challenges that you faced in starting out just to get your basic GED? What was that like? It was primarily was the language more than anything. And the fear. It was the first time I was studying something in the U.S. The fear of, can I really do this? Would I actually understand what they are trying to teach me? And looking back, I think I was my worst enemy, which is not true. I mean, not good. But uh, the main thing was overcoming the fear of what if, what if I don't pass the courses? What if I can't graduate? What if I 
don't actually understand the language. So those were the main things I will say. You deal in the academic research circles, and I want to get your opinion. Would you say that Latinos in general suffer from a higher level of imposter syndrome? I will say yes, based on what I know, mainly. Um, I think it has to be also with the cultural component also in some ways. But yes, based on what I see, I will say yes. Tell me what you base your answer on, just in general. It's like based upon personal experience and personal observation. What do you base it on? As a female, I think that has a lot to do because I believe that sometimes as females, female Latinas, we are um, around a culture or subculture that your role is to be home, raise your kids, which there's nothing wrong with it, but is uh, the limitation, the self-limitations that we are surrounded by as our role as Latinas, which uh, I think doesn't help. But I think that that's where I'm coming from is is hearing that, well, but you need to stay home. Yeah, but you actually need to raise your kids. And this is what society is expecting of you. Again, that is fine if it's fine with you. But um, and then how many other people in our countries probably have um, go to uh, a school to have a PhD. Sometimes it's really hard also. So is is trying to achieve something that sometimes is really hard to achieve in our home country. So I think we bring that with us when we move to the U.S., that limitation that, but no, I can't, I can't because of this or that. I'm going to drill a little bit down on this because I have looked at this phenomena for years. When you look at the upbringing from the Catholic Church, and this is not attacking the church, by the way. Of course This not. is just yeah. attacking the cultural, religious programming and narrative that is repeated over and over again mm-hmm. by Catholic parents to say, no te creas tanto, okay? <laughs> Don't think too much of yourself. <laughs> Be careful with what you have. <laughs> yeah. So if you hear that over and over and over and over again, you grow up thinking, no debo de creerme mucho, okay? When in reality, there is something healthy about having a positive self-esteem about yourself, that you believe that you have innate talents, you have innate intelligence to basically do whatever you set your mind to. Right. Absolutely right. Yes. And if you add the dysfunction in a family, uh, such as a dysfunctional marriage, I've had clients that, uh, female clients, that that their horrible exes just took the self-esteem right out of them or beat it out of them because uh, they were jealous, they were insecure, that their spouse was a more, uh, uh, was on a successful track and they weren't or that they were gaining greater influence uh, in their community or in their company, and they weren't. 
And so they set out to sabotage mm-hmm. and they set out to be punitive in the way that they communicated and message with their spouses. And that was just awful because the damage that was done uh, is a form of PTSD that can sometimes last for a lifetime. Absolutely. And I was one of them, actually, Victor. So I mentioned that I got married at 18, moved to the U.S. My ex-husband is from the U.S. So one of the things, I was married for 15 years with him. And one of, well, four of the things he always told me is, don't even try it. You'll never make it. You don't speak the language, you are not from here, you don't have a job, and you don't have an education. So I think that was also my motivation. I am sometimes the type of person that if you tell me you can't do it, I'll find a way to show you I can do it. Well, of course, it depends on who is the one that's telling me that. So in this case, it was my ex-husband. And then there was also another person that, because my English was really bad when I actually went to school, to college, uh, One of my majors was economics, Um, and she was my mentor. um, And I remember she told me one time, I I remember exactly where we were. She was wearing a red sweater. We were sitting at the library, and I was struggling with my economics class. One, one because it's hard, or at least for me it was, and and also the language. I was just learning English. It was was a struggle because I would tape record. Yes, tape record the classes. Then go back home and transcribe it, like listen to the tape recordings and then write it down and then start looking on my dictionary, what the word meant and things like that. Because back then, I mean, that was, I don't know, 1990s. So anyway, so this lady told me, she said, if you're struggling so much, why don't you just stay home, raise your kids and forget about this? You're not going to make it. Your English is bad. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to finish this and I'm going to graduate. So I graduated with a degree in economics. How? I don't know. God is great, of course, but I don't know. So yes, um, I was one of those uh, females where my ex always told me, don't even try it. You'll never make it. I will tell you how you did it. You had grit. Grit is the number one factor for succeeding in any career. In any uh, pursuit uh, of life or business, the ability to stick to something and never give mm-hmm. up. I had a interview with a very famous author yesterday who said that the people that succeed are the ones that master the boring aspects of something that is complex. Rather than giving up easily, they master and and drudge through the boredom of different uh, tasks in order to acquire the mastery that is required, the nuance to be able to make that distinction to become an expert. I like that. I think it's very true. Yes. So that's what you did. Is it was it was tedious. It was boring, but you weren't going to give up because you were trying to exercise the voice of your ex-husband <laughs> out of your mind by, by continually saying, oh, yes, I can. Of course, he never knew that. I never told him. But I, yeah, after I left, I was like, you know what? I'm going to prove you wrong. And so I, I went and got a master's degree in English. <laughs> um, now, and now I bet your English is, is flawless compared to him. I tell people, some people have a PhD in how not to do things. 
<laughs> I like that. <laughs> exactly. If I have to start over. Mm. Yes, no, it's very true. And then also, I think it helped that I have a very supportive family. My mom is the most positive person. And, and I don't mean to exaggerate, but she is the person that if I have something negative going on, she will find the positive. She will flip it and like, but look at the positive side. So I remember when the opportunity came to apply for graduate school to go to to start a PhD, I called my mom. And at that time, I was not even 40 yet, uh, but I was a single mom of four kids. And I told her, mommy, this is the opportunity. What do you think? Blah, blah, blah. And she said, go for it. She said, a college degree is something that no one ever can take it away from you. You'll take it anyway. Anything else people can take away from you, but not an education. And then she said, and you'll get to 40 regardless. So what what do you want? Do you want to sit there where when you turn 40 and look back and say, I wish I have done it? Or get to 40 and say, I'm almost there or I accomplished it? Is she a highly educated person? She is not actually. And I think that that was her... That's that's where she was coming from. Um, she never graduated from college. Uh, she did go to college, I think, only the first or second year until she met my dad. And then she dropped out of college. And uh, so we were raised by a single mom. And that was one thing she regretted is not finishing her degree. So she was my force. She was living vicariously through you. Exactly, exactly. And then, so since then, I started thinking, and when I have a big challenge or something that I'm overthinking, which is very common, I will say, well, we only regret the chances we don't take. Exactly. Exactly. I have a sign in my office that says, 20 years from now, you will not regret the things you did, but the things you didn't do. Dr. Kaler, what did it feel like walking across the stage and receiving your doctoral degree? Uh, it felt like it was not real that I was there to uh, be part of someone else's graduation ceremony, not my ceremony. Um, but then when I got home, I just started crying and crying and crying. And also, I defended my dissertation February 2018, and I, I walked, the ceremony was May 2018. And that February, I remember after I defended my dissertation, after waiting nine years from beginning to to end, not knowing if I would actually finish it ever. After I came back from my dissertation, from defending it, and my advisor signed uh, the paper and everything, I just came home and I was just crying and crying and crying and crying. It's just such a huge relief of I made it. <laughs> I yes. did it. Yes, congratulations. Thank you. Tell me, what was your dissertation about? It was about a federal nutrition education program called FNET, Expanded Food and Nutrition Education Program. Um, I had the opportunity to work, to do multicultural work about the um, the 
impact of this program and the quality of life of the educators and also the participants across the U.S.? I think we did 16 or 17 states total. Um, and I worked with Hispanics who spoke only English and Hispanics that spoke only Spanish as a primary language, and then African-Americans and Caucasians. So then um, see where the program was having the most impact with each group. It was fascinating. I loved it. <laughs> was that implemented in, uh, in your area, or was that uh, uh, picked up by any agency? It was implemented in the area. It was through my university, uh, and they are still working on it, meaning pieces of that helped in um, creating a, a major program that will cause a major impact and improving the program because that helped them see the impact that they were having in a positive way or things that they needed to to change in order to, you know, adjust things differently. So, yes, it was implemented. And they, I know there's an article that is supposed to be coming from that also shortly um, from, from the study I did. So it, it was a big, big project. That's, that's one of the reasons it took several years also. Tell me this. Up to now, what are you the most proud of? What has been your biggest achievement? My kids. Why? First, personally, my kids. Um, they are all adults now in their 20s. The youngest is 22. The oldest is turning 30 uh, in a couple of days or in a couple of weeks, actually. Um, I think um, my biggest accomplishment personally is them because I raised them um, for the most part as a single parent. And just see them graduate from high school, especially when I knew that Latinos tend to, uh, the graduation rate for Latinos is usually really low for high school, let alone college. So for them, for me to see them graduate from high school and also from college later on, for uh, for those that graduated from college, uh, one is st still in college right now. It was just a huge satisfaction and knowing that they are good people. Uh, so yes, uh, that that is my personal one. My professional one is founding my own business. So after I graduated with my PhD, I thought the world was mine. I was like, fine, I have a PhD now. I can apply and get the job of my dream, you know, is all those daydreaming things that finally are going to happen now. And that actually didn't happen. Uh, I got really depressed uh, when that didn't happen. I was submitting applications. Things were not happening. I was just praying. I was like, what's going on? And it took, I did 24 informational interviews with people I met on LinkedIn on purpose. So I was, I had an idea of what I wanted to do uh, after my PhD. And then when I was not getting the jobs that I was applying for, two of my best friends that didn't know each other, they were like, okay, Natalia, so if you're not finding the kind of job that you want, why don't you why don't you just create your own job? And I was like, what? She said, open your own business. And I never thought about that. I don't know why. 
So I started doing informational interviews with people on LinkedIn, um, 20 to 30 minutes. And I have a spreadsheet that I was like, okay, so this person is, um, they have their own business. This is the the kind of business they have, this is what they have, this is what they have. And I have pre-selected questions about seven for each of them. They are all similar questions, except for if you have a PhD, how did your PhD help you? Things like that. So after the 24 interviews, I had a pretty good idea which sector I wanted to work in. And yeah, I think everything was just the right timing. I opened my own business in 2018, 2019. And that was the best thing I've done professionally, I will say. And then everything that came after. Tell us what exactly it is that you do. I do market research. I do uh, market research and my expertise is multicultural and Hispanic market research. So basically, if there are brands that want to learn more about the Hispanic consumers, they will hire me and I will do the research for them and help them develop uh, products or services or communication that is culturally sensitive for the population. So I go and interview Hispanic consumers. If a brand wants to sell more of this product to the Hispanics, then they will hire me for that or they are wondering why this product is not selling with a Hispanic as much as with a non-Hispanic population, then they will hire me and I'll come and help them um, communicate uh, with the Hispanic consumers in a culturally sensitive way so they can increase their sales and hopefully also customize their products or services to serve Hispanic consumers. I've been in this field that you have been working in for over 15 years, working in legacy media. Mm-hmm. I worked uh, in TV, radio, and newsprint. And you're the type of person that legacy media would hire to do studies about uh, the particular marketplace and what uh, companies, either prospective advertisers need to know to be able to reach the community as well as internally what leadership needs to know about the Hispanic uh, market Mm -hmm. in order to make strategic decisions in coming out with different publications, different uh, products to be able to have that placement of the advertisement. Now, I have had discussions and debates with Mm -hmm. thought leaders nationally, and I'm sure you're familiar with uh, the the author, maybe you even uh, studied some of his work, who wrote Hispanic marketing from the uh, uh, from the university in Miami, mm-hmm. uh, and 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 when his book came out, the the industry was in its infancy. And would you say that now it's a mature industry, or is Hispanic marketing based upon market data and market research still in its infancy? I would love to see or I would love to think that is not in its infancy anymore. We are at a mature level. I think uh, and I hope based on what I hear also that brands are paying more attention to Hispanic consumers now. So I would love to think that we are now where it started. We have made some improvements. That doesn't mean we are where we need to be yet. 
about 19% of the U.S. population is Hispanic. And with a trillion dollar purchasing power, I might yes, add. Yes, yes, yes. So it's a very powerful community. And I think brands should actually hear what we need to say. And, uh, and, oh, and another thing that is great about the Hispanics is that Hispanic consumers are loyal to products and services they trust and like. And especially since we come from bigger families, if I love a product, of course, I'm going to make sure my mom, my abuelita, my tia, everybody in my family knows. And and that's the thing. Once I think once we get the Hispanic consumers, we get them for life, assuming we provide good products and services. So I think that's important for brands to understand also that you have a loyal base here. And uh, yeah. We are one of the fastest growing segments in the U.S. and young. Yes. And if Latinos were a country, they would have Mm -hmm. a purchasing power greater than Canada. Yes. You are listening to Latinos Who Thrive with special guest Natalia Infante-Kaylor. We'll be right back. Are you a business owner struggling to adapt to a fast-changing world that puts greater demands on your bottom line? Call today for a free consultation with Escalante Training and Consulting. For more than three decades, Victor Escalante has been helping companies from startups to Fortune 500 companies with specialized trainings for HR recruitment, leadership and management, sales and marketing, and reputation management. Take action today. You'll be glad you did. Visit them at victorescalante.com or call them at 713-992-8279. We now return you to Latinos Who Thrive with special guest, Dr. Natalia Infante-Kaler. It is incumbent upon brands that want to reach Hispanics that they understand the science behind consumer behavior of Hispanics. I remember in the book, Hispanic Marketing, I I can't remember of the author's name because it's been so many years since I read it, but... Uh, but he he tells the story in there, and you you remember the story, I'm sure. When uh, when uh, I think it was uh, TV people went to uh, Milwaukee to try to get uh, uh, beer manufacturers yes. to advertise in Hispanic marketing. Do you remember what they said? I don't remember, but it's coming to mind now. Yes, I remember that, but I can't remember what it was. They said, why should we advertise to Hispanics? Okay. When Hispanics were already the biggest demographic to buy beer. Mm, yeah. yeah it's, it's fascinating. So that's how blind a lot of corporate brands have mm-hmm. been to being able to craft Advertising campaigns to reach Hispanics. Mm -hmm. I have a lot of friends in the industry, uh, as you heard uh, the interview of Jose Monterrosa. Mm -hmm. I love that interview. Yes. Thank you. Who work in this space. And it's crazy. There is uh, excitement and there is lots of crazy (laughs) in trying to open up closed minds to the power Mm -hmm. of advertising and reaching Hispanics. Mm. I agree. I completely agree. Yes. I've been also a political consultant. And there you see a lot of crazy because uh, in crafting messaging to reach the Hispanic marketing, 
they are all over the place instead of, again, focusing on families and what drives families and, and what families really value as opposed to all the crazy talk and all the crazy messaging that is crafted by Anglos. Yes, I agree. The set of values of Hispanics are different than the set of values of uh, in the U.S. and Europe. So we come from a collectivistic culture. So for us, it's more about family, success of my family member, things like that. We do think as as group, like we can probably go shopping as a family. And here it's all so individualistic. So we are trying to send the same individualistic message to a group that thinks in a collectivistic way. Sometimes. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. Let's back up. Tell us about your challenges that you had in completing your PhD all the way from, we already went through uh, your GED. Talk to us about your first years of college. Did you go through uh, that same type of uh, that type of challenges in having to record everything and because you weren't understanding the lesson plan or the instructor? Yes, yes, for the most part, my English was very minimal, very, very minimal. Um, so I went to college and then I started asking professors. I do not know how they understood me. But I had my tape recorded, recorder, and I probably did a lot of show and tell, like showing this is the tape recorder. I don't <laughs> remember how I did it. But I remember asking them permission to record the classes. And then, uh, so yeah, every night after the kids went to school, went to bed, I will sit down with my dictionary, huge dictionary, and transcribe, stop, record, you know, play, stop, play, transcribing word, per word of every single class and then highlighting the words I didn't understand, looking it up on my dictionary and always sat right in front of the class so I can see the professor and not be distracted by any anything else behind me. That was one of the things that I think that was the main struggle. Uh, I didn't anticipate and I don't regret. It was a lot of work, but... I'm very grateful that I actually did it. And then, of course, um, believing in myself more, more than anything that, yes, I can do this. Just go with the flow. It's like, you know, when you go underwater, you have to hold your breath for a few seconds and then go and then come up. So that's, that's what I was thinking. I was like, okay. And then I kept thinking also, how do you eat? Someone told me this. It sounds ridiculous, but I was like, okay, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? <laughs> so those things that I just kept reminding myself that I, I need to finish, I need to finish, I need to finish. How? I'm not sure, but I'll do as much as I can. Um, Did you I had, read a lot of motivational books or inspirational books? At that time, I didn't because I didn't have time. For me, it was taking care of my family and going to school, that's it. So I did not have time at all. It was something that I just had to go through it. Now I'm reading those books. <laughs> what was the last good book that you read? Oh, my goodness. Uh, several ones. One or authors that, I, that, that you follow. Uh, Brian Tracy is a really good one that I love. Um, I read his book, Eat That Frog. I really loved it. 
Um, I also, there's another book that I love and that is the kind of book that I will read again or listen to it. It's, it's called Becoming Bulletproof, Protect Yourself, Read People, Influence Situations. It's by Evie Pompuras. Okay. And she is a former um, FBI, no, former Secret Service agent. And so she's describing all the behind the scenes of having to overcome her fear. She came from a Greek family, you know, the expectations of a family that you have to be this when in fact she wanted to be a professional, um, you know, dedicate her time to her profession. So it's, it's fascinating. It's very powerful, especially coming from a female, um, you know, how to read the room, how to overcome your fears, influence situation, things like that. So that is one of the books I love. I have several ones, but if I have a book that I will read over and over, it will be this one. How did that book help you in your career and in your personal life? It helped me see that, wow, she's struggling with the same things I am struggling. And she's a former Secret Service agent. Oh, my goodness. She has those fears, and I'm not even there professionally. And if she has those fears and I have those fears, that means what I feel is normal. And then not only that, is listening to her story the way she she said how she overcame, how she, we tend to overthink things, that started, um, for me, I started thinking more like, am I overthinking this? Should I just go with it? Uh, and, and also trying to remind myself that I am sometimes my worst enemy. So that it, it was very helpful. I would tell you why you're your worst enemy and why in general people why? are their worst enemies. Uh-huh. By age 20, your brain was wired for life. Oh. If you look at the research on neuroplasticity, there are certain windows in brain development that begin to shut and by age 20 is completely shut. And so some of that earliest programming is still running in the background because that's what creates stability and continuity in your identity Imagine the chaos that you would experience if you didn't know who you were when you woke up. So as an evolutionary process, the brain develops in such a way that it locks down certain uh, beliefs and memories from your past to give you that consistency, that continuity. And if there's any trauma in your childhood, if there's any limiting beliefs uh, from your childhood, that is even running in the background because, again, the part of the brain, I believe, is the amygdala, rewires the brain whenever there is change to it, that it feels that is threatening your identity uh, to, to create your subjective reality. Interesting. So how, so how do you break that cycle? There's many different tools that can be used and many different rituals to develop uh, uh, different strategies to be able to change that. You've heard the belief or the saying that we form habits and then habits form us. That's because once you do something for 40 days, according to the research, it becomes a habit. You got to do it consistently every day. And if you don't 
miss if you miss a day and you don't do something that you are trying to develop a new habit, you got to start all over again because the brain needs 40 days to break a habit. Interesting. I heard of it. I ne- I don't think I ever practiced that, but I probably should. Well, I'm sure you practiced it in uh, some of your studies for sure. <laughs> I probably did. I don't remember, but I, I I guess I wasn't paying attention whether it was 40 days or not. But yes, you you're probably right. I probably did. It became a way of life for you. Now you have a researcher's brain, which which again makes perfect sense as to why you really like to dig down into the nuance of, of any uh, ethnic studies that you're doing for different brands, because again, you mastered that kind of uh, detail, attention to detail and the nuance of the culture of the language. I'm sure some of some of your training was in linguistics. It was, it was, yes. So if we look at the the work of uh, Noam Chomsky and in general semantics, uh, you understand that that it's language that creates a subjective reality. And so, for uh, I wrote a a piece, uh, and this is not about me. This is about you. I wrote a piece about how Latinos have different words for beans. Yes, and and how how you communicate that is going to either resonate or not resonate if you're not using the right word for beans. Exactly. And and that's with any words because the Spanish, yeah. the Spanish language has about 10, uh, 10 main uh, dialects. I, I mean, yes, it's true. And that's also very important when you are doing market research is to work with a moderator or a researcher that understand the language. Because what I say here with um, con- consumers that I'm interviewing from Mexico will be probably different than someone coming from Argentina. So that's why when I work with brands, I also try to understand who are your main consumers and where are they coming from? Are they from New York, from Cuba, from El Salvador, from South America? Because, yes, you have to change your language a little to make sure they understand. I'm it, sure it, th- yeah. this has been uh, in your studies. Do you remember that famous uh, airline uh, commercial <laughs> <laughs> about yes. flying in leather? Oh, how my did, goodness. How did they translate it? How did, <laughs> this oh, is that was before painful. Google Translate. This is before oh, Google yes. Translate. How did they translate we- it? Cuero, or al- yes. Yeah, I was <laughs> and like, what oh. is, And what does that mean in, in, in Spanish? Yeah, flying naked. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that is actually in Mexico, because if you say that in uh, South America, it might not come across as the same thing, because cuero in in many South American countries mean cuero leather, not naked. So, yes, yes, again, is is the cultural nuances of the language and the region where. But yes, for the purpose of Mexico, that was not okay. It's it's crazy. It is. uh, If someone calls your your child mono, que mono? Mono what does that mean in other countries? I, I am not sure, but it means for us, monkey. Well, yes, I, I was thinking you, you, you meant something different, probably that, but yes, for us, it's, it's also monkey. In, in Paraguay, being, since you mentioned it before, it means poroto. We say poroto. Yes. Other places is frijoles and different words. Yeah. It's uh, fabulous. Habichuelas. I mean, Habich- <laughs> And the same with uh, strawberries. Uh, in some countries, it's called fresas yes. and others. So I grew up with frutilla. 
Frutilia, interesting. Frutilia with a double L. And then a friend of mine once corrected me. She's not from Paraguay. And she said, well, frutilia for us is the puree of fruit. And I'm like, oh, fascinating. Interesting. That's (laughs) like uh, using the example of snow to an Eskimo. They have like 22 different words. And if you don't use the right word, it could mean a, a the difference between life and death. Because if you walk out on certain kind of snow, uh, that it could kill you because uh, there is ice underneath that is not stable, uh, etc. Makes sense. Yeah. So it's it's fascinating. I love everything related to the Hispanic culture and the language, uh, and, and and that's why. What I do is just so perfect. I love it because every project, every day is different. I could be working in something related to fast food. It could be clothing. It could be toys. It could be video games. And yeah, it's it's fascinating. I love it. Dr. Kaler, uh, tell us uh, about your poster poster child project or angel customer who you have done work for that you saved them millions of dollars in their uh, communication, in their messaging, or you made them millions of dollars as a result of having that perfect fit, that perfect message? There are several that come to mind. Um, while one will be a toy company that wanted to know how or why a specific product was not uh, being very successful among Hispanics. So that was one of the ones I can think of. Uh, I don't know how many millions, but they were able to uh, revise their prototype and make changes to actually um, reach to the Hispanic population in the way they wanted the messaging. The author I interviewed yesterday, uh, Brian Eisenberg, said that they changed one image. He and his brother changed an image on the website for uh, Overstock.com because they had the wrong image and the wrong messaging. That change alone generated $5 million in extra sales. That's how powerful having everything in its place works for big companies or small companies of any size. Yes, absolutely. That reminds me actually a project I did years ago where uh, it was a marketing project, marketing um, campaign, and it was not communicating with a Hispanic population and they couldn't tell why. So I started doing a lot of studies and interviewing Hispanic consumers in this case. And when you mentioned pictures, that reminded me these the marketing materials were all individual people going shopping as a one person doing things in an individual way where they needed to make the changes and include families families going grocery shopping family riding bikes families doing this and they were able to make other changes and then revamp the marketing materials. And as far as I know now, they are selling it across the U.S., the marketing materials, reaching to uh, Hispanics across the U.S. now. Your comments, uh, congratulations. Your comment reminds me of the, I believe it was Nissan, that they have spent millions of dollars trying to get uh, buyers into dealerships and it just wasn't working. 
And so they brought in someone like yourself with expertise uh, to tell them what was missing. And what they did is to create a talking head of a mechanic inviting families to come uh, meet them at the dealership. And, and to come uh, 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 come to the dealership, a personal invitation from from a mechanic in Spanish, and the rest is history. They had phenomenal success again because the kinesthetics or the feelings were missing in a lot of the cold and impersonal advertising that was being uh, pushed on on Hispanics. Absolutely. And then also the colors. Hispanics usually like vibrant colors. That was another thing that I did with this marketing study. The colors were just earth tone. And what the Hispanics want. Vibrant colors, don't we? The oranges, the reds, the greens. The yellow, the the red. I'm like that. (laughs) I have at home like tablecloth that are very, very bright colors. And those are fine with me. That's what sets our uh, souls and hearts on fire. Exactly. Tell us, what are you really excited about currently in your company? What am I really excited? I'm trying to think of one thing. Uh, For opportunities, I love networking. Um, For this year, I hope to go to more conferences. I am also um, excited for opportunities for growth, not only my company, but also associations that I'm part of. So I'm on the board of the Qualitative Research Consultants Association. So looking at growing and being more involved. So I, when I like or I'm part of an association, uh, I believe that if I want change, I want to be part of the change. So I run for the board a couple of times until I finally got in this year. And to me is just planning the, the growth, how to reach out to more people. And for my company is also um, working to keep the clients I already have, the clients I love working with, and also uh, nurturing those relationships and also growing, uh, attracting newer clients also, and growing professionally and sharing also. I think that's important to me. Do you have any scheduled speaking engagements at any of these conferences that people can come hear you? As far as I know, not yet. Last year, I spoke to, into uh, conferences that uh, were amazing. So I am not sure this year. Um, right now, I don't. I'm looking at different ones. We'll see. We it will takes- have your information in the show notes in case people want to reach out to you and maybe connect with you at the uh, different industry conferences where the both uh, may be attending. That will be awesome. Tell us, compared to... This time last year, are you happier and more successful? Yes. Or the same? No, I think I'm I'm happier. I'm more successful. And success is all relevant, right? Is me hitting right. those milestones. So I I have some um, goals for myself from last year to this year, and I'm so far hitting those goals. One of them is, uh, you know, having a presence on LinkedIn also, and that's where the, um, you know, the second thoughts are coming, like, do I do this often? You know, things like that, the imposter syndrome. But I'm trying to overcome that too. So yes, definitely, I think I am at a much better place now uh, than last year, every year. 
But I also believe that in order to get there, we have to put the time and effort and not expect that because I'm doing this today, uh, things are going to start happening tomorrow. It takes time and it takes patience. And I think that I learned when I did the PhD program is that in order to get to the graduation day, I have to do my work. And that's where I'm, that's the mindset that I'm trying to, uh, you know, use now is like, I didn't do that in a day. I have to work for it, be consistent and show up, do the work. And yes. That's the boring part that you have (laughs) to have the habits to do the boring stuff that leads to the exciting parts. It's true. Eat that frog, like Brian Tracy says. Yes. He has a really good book about that. So when when I'm sometimes doubting myself, I'm like, okay, just eat the frog. Just do it. <laughs> if your whole life flashed before you, what do you wish that you had done more of? Take risks. Risks. More risk. Yeah. Do things that I was probably afraid of doing. Make that phone call. Connect with that person. Ask the question. Uh, I'm not going to die by asking. Victor, do you have 30 minutes to me? Can I talk to you? You know, things like that. And not second guessing, like, what if he thinks that? What if they do this? What if it's just do it? If nothing happens, nothing happens. The same when I was connecting with people on LinkedIn to try to discover what I wanted to do as a business. I realized not everybody wanted to meet and that's okay. They probably didn't have time, but try not to take it personally and just do it. And I keep telling myself, you only regret the chances you don't take. And also I can make excuses or I can make progress, but not both of them. So those constant reminders, and I actually have it here, uh, a whiteboard right next to me or behind my computer. And when I'm overthinking things, I read that and I'm like, just press the send button. (laughs) Paralysis by analysis. (laughs) Exactly. Send (laughs) that email. (laughs) If you haven't read the book, I highly recommend it. The author is Johnny, uh, I believe Johnny Deutsch. or Danny Deutsch is, is the guy's name. He's a uh, famous uh, media personality and the past owner of a very large advertising agency. And uh, the essence of the book, uh, I think the title is, Why Not Me? It, and uh, it's really good and, and you're going to enjoy it. Uh, uh, one of the things that I got away, uh, th- uh, that I took away from reading the book was uh, if, if not now, when? And why not me? It's like, of course. It's like, I'm, I belong here. I've got the expertise. I've got the talent. Uh, why not me? Oh. So I, I'll read it for sure. I just wrote it down. Why not me? I'll read it. Very important. Thank you. I love books like that. We just I'm a tend walking to encyclopedia of books. <laughs> I love that, Victor. We should compare our notes later to we see should. which books. We should. <laughs> and, and I'm sure it'll be also very helpful for others that are listening to this program. because, And also, uh, yeah, books. And sometimes I think, well, I don't have time. Well, I do have time to do audiobooks, yes. you know, while Absolutely. you do something around the house. So I think nowadays uh, I tend to create more excuses for me than anything so that's not good so my goal this year is to read more books learn from others and especially books like these that are inspirational we tend to that and that's my problem i tend to overthink overthink things a lot okay not good 
Well, this is your year of the rabbit in Chinese calendar uh, to have patience, to, 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 to work on your patience, to do the necessary things that you need to do to get ahead. Another question. If your whole life flashed before you, what do you wish that you have done less of? Less of? Yes. <sighs> less of worry. Worry? Worry. I worry too much. Ah, oh, yeah. Sometimes I wake up at 2 a.m. in the morning. I like start thinking about things that I have no control over. Um, so worry. Of course, that's where trusting my... I, I, I believe in God. Faith is very, very important to me. And I think that's the main reason I overcame so many things is because I, I knew there was someone watching for me also. So uh, watching out for me. So I, I think it will be worry. I tend to, like I mentioned before, overthink things. And that's not good. Just do it. Um, yeah. Okay. Now. What advice would you give to the younger you or to younger women that are starting out in corporate America or are going to college that are going to be listening to this program? I will say don't listen to the naysayers. There will always be people that will tell you, oh, no, think again. You can't do it. You can't make it. But I think trusting your gut and trusting in yourself. Sometimes it's not easy, but I think it's keeping the goal right in front of you. And it's not going to be easy, but a friend of mine told me one time, she said, si las cosas fueran tan fácil, cualquiera las haría. So if if everything was so easy, anyone will do it. And it's true. Um, So I think it will be, it's not going to be easy. Nothing is easy. We have to sacrifice some things in order to get there. So when I started graduate school, I knew I had to sacrifice something. And that was not watching TV. Until this day, I don't watch much TV. (laughs) You can ask me about movies or shows and things, and I'll be like, I have no idea. There are certain shows that I watch, but other than that, I'm not the kind of person that will sit in front of TV. So for me, that that was one thing is... um, it's not going to be easy, but I have to do it. And I would rather enjoy the success than regret it. So for those of you thinking twice, do it. You can always change things as you go. You don't have to go full time if you if it doesn't work for you. The important thing is to finish if you're going to school is graduate, not when, but where, like, the point when you graduate is important. Not like I have to do it in four years, like everybody else does, because we not everybody has the same schedule, especially if you're a parent or taking care of a family. So um, that that will be the thing is I don't have to be like everybody else. Do it at the same time that everybody else does. It has to be something that works for me. Um, okay, yeah. give us four more. You're uh, one out of oh. the gate. Four oh. more. Um, uh, four more tips that you would give your younger self or advice that you would give to listeners. Okay. I will say, go for it. Don't overthink it. Remember you are your worst enemy that, that I'm telling myself that also 
I will say try not to look at the much bigger picture and get desperate that way, but just to have my goal in mind and say, okay, this is where I want to be and these are the reasons and work for it and also see what the sacrifices that I will need to do and that is okay. The sacrifices I will need to make in order to get there and that is okay to sacrifice a few things as long as it's not things that are important to me like time with family. I didn't sacrifice that. I don't think so a lot but um, I didn't watch TV and that was fine with me. So those were the the main things. Um, Don't listen to naysayers. That will be one important thing I will say to myself. It's like, nope, there will be people that you know, will tell me, you can't do that. You're not good enough. Your language is this. But you know what? I did it. There's actual research that you are the median of the five people closest to you that you hang around with. So if you're hanging around with obese people, you're going to be an obese person. If you're hanging around with uh, with brilliant, highly successful people, you're going to be highly uh, successful and brilliant. <laughs> so I it agree. is very important who you hang around with. Very, very true. Actually, yes, I will add that to my number five somewhere in there. Um, absolutely. And I will also say network, uh, especially after COVID, I see more people. I think some people just got used to, I'll just stay home. I'm, I'm just a capsule. I, I don't talk to anyone. But I think networking is very, very important regardless of whether you're starting now or you are where you want to be professionally. I think, especially if you're starting, I will say for people that are considering going to college, and sometimes we don't know what our major is going to be. I think I changed my major three times before I graduated. But uh, yeah, networking and have a a mentor. Uh, I was very lucky to have uh, angels. That's what I call them, my angels that were uh, able to guide me and just run things by, uh, am I doing this right? Is this the right way to do it or not? Um, Things like that. But I will say networking is also very important. Don't wait until you graduate from college to start networking. Start networking now. Connect with people, especially on LinkedIn. Let's say I want to be an architect. Look for people that are architects on LinkedIn and connect with them. Um, that way you can start thinking like them and start talking their language or things like that. And, and I realized also after doing 24 interviews on with professionals on LinkedIn, I connected with a lot more than that, but only talked to 24, which is still good, according to me, was that people do want to share uh, about what they do and how they can help you and things like that. So, And if they don't respond to your message, well, that's okay. Move on to the next person. I'm going to make an educated guess just from what little I know you from this interview. You are now an angel to others, inspiring them and mentoring them to to follow their dream, to follow their passion. I hope so. I hope so. At least I heard that before, actually, last year. Someone sent me an email out of the blue saying, this is where I am today. Thank you. I'm going to give you a tip. Stop hoping and start anticipating. Let me tell you why. Your brain, when you hope, creates two images. One yes, one no. So uh, so hope that you're going to eat uh, your favorite meal tomorrow. And now anticipate that you're going to eat your favorite meal tomorrow. What's the difference? 
One is concrete, the other is floating around. There's only one. There's only one that you will do it when you anticipate. But when you hope, you have uh, at least two images, if not more, of possibilities, and your brain gets confused. Your brain doesn't know what you want. That's the power of the brain and the mind and being focused and being single-minded in the pursuit of whatever it is that, that you're uh, pursuing. Any final words uh, that you have for, uh, for young listeners? I will say regardless of your age, if you are looking to study something, I will say go for it try it and like I mentioned before don't listen to the naysayers uh, we only regret the chances we don't take so as long as it's not dangerous meaning you're not risking your life or anyone that you love life I think uh, go for it and it, it get the information I say go to the source when you get the information uh, on what people say or what people think you should do Get, get the, the facts. facts. There you get go. The get the facts. Yes. Yeah. Well, Dr. Kaler, it's been an honor and uh, an enjoyment in having you on Latinos Who Thrive, and I'm sure that we're going to have a lot of listeners uh, that will be benefited from your story. And we, you have an open invitation to come back uh, and to update update us on any interesting projects that you're working on or any interesting research uh, uh, that you have come up with that can help Latinos to scale up in their personal and professional life uh, what they need to understand in playing the game of success. Okay, sounds good. Thank you. I appreciate the time and the conversation. This was very fun to do and uh, informative for me too. So I appreciate the invitation. And I would love to hear from any listeners to see uh, how they benefited. Not that if, would be but great. how, right? Yeah, that, exactly. That would be great. Uh, uh, so you have an invitation to contact Dr. Kaler to tell her personally how you were benefited from this episode and her information is going to be in the show notes lots of success in your future uh, trajectory of uh, your own business uh, Dr. Kaler yes thank you Victor for the opportunity I appreciate it and we'll be in touch